Good evening, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read and Weep. We're a podcast that used to be about books. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording in North Koreatown, Los Angeles. Um, this is season three, episode 38 of the program and the continuation of our slightly condescending film school, Summer of Friends. Before I introduce the panel, I just want to say a quick thank you to a couple of our meat buddies who uh, moved over to our new Patreon this week. So I just want to thank Wendy and Steven, who have both been donating since 2015, which is pretty amazing. Uh, and I, I, I just can't thank them enough for that. Uh, one of them has been donating slightly longer than the other one, but I'm not going to tell them which is which. Um, but Steven sent this message along that I thought you guys would like to hear, um, which, uh, thanks for being genuinely nice guys who have been in my ears for several years now. Film school has been an amazing season. I've actually gotten my wife to listen to a couple of them, and I'm afraid Hunter is her favorite. Yeah. <laughs> F yeah, <laughs> uh, totally understandable. My favorite too. Yeah, man, um, men of the woods. You know they just yeah, do them for true. certain people. <laughs> I'm a words uh, man. <laughs> Steven says, uh, "Keep it up, your chin, the podcast, whatever." Um, if you guys would like to help us keep it all up, uh, you can keep the show limping down the tracks by going to metreon.com. And thanks, everyone, who donates to the show. Let me introduce you to the panel for today. It's an excellent one. First up, from Southeast Portland. He's at Anthony Lopez Part 2 on Twitter. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Hey, excited to be here. Always good to talk to you, buddy. Also joining us from the woods of Arkansas, he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd. It's Mr. Hunter Donaldson. Hey, man, I just realized earlier that Anthony said that uh, that... It, something about me being from the woods and then I said I'm a words man and yes. that's funny because I messed up with the word words yes. so yeah. now, it was on purpose now I assume that was a out, bit it is October so summer of fun or summer yeah, of friends it's, it's no longer thing? summer of friends now where it's rocktober of friends oh um, are we doing we're not doing rocktober this year it looks no like. it doesn't feel like we are um, I I do feel like we should probably watch one the rock movie before the month is over just well, for old time's sake but it's a different I mean, season different format as we all know, if you guys follow the same uh, highly, um, you know, respected QAnon followers I do, uh, <laughs> we all know yeah. that The Rock is actually dead and it's been replaced by a body double, uh, which of is course. a popular theory this week going around the internet, which is of all my favorite Q uh, so-and-so celebrity was killed and replaced with a body double. This the is idea, the hardest body to double. The idea of some guy... <laughs> Waking up at 3 a.m. and eating fish just so he can, like, live the rock's body. Oh, yeah. Imagine an actor having to sit through all of those tribal tattoos in one go to catch up. Just going through taking that many steroids to get your head that (laughs) weird-ass shape that the rock's is just so that you can endorse they joe might, biden uh they might have used um his uh doesn't isn't his brother his stunt or his cousin is his stunt double that might be the cheapest way is just oh, match the, tom, the tattoos the tom hanks route you know yeah exactly, uh, exactly. The, way they, the way tom hanks's brother has been impersonating tom hanks for the last six months well we'll um i mean that's believable you could switch his sons in there tom hanks is, is swappable um but i I think we should do something. We should figure out where The Rock fits into film school because uh, I would like to talk about him. It's been so many years where we have. But anyway, um, the summer is lasting for a long time because it is a sweltering 105 degrees in Los Angeles. Jeez. Where our final guest is, our very special guest, is also in Los Angeles in the sweltering heat with me. Um, not with me, but in theory. Um, at, at, at Dahlia on Twitter. Got the straight first name Twitter. Also, 
She's the host of the Interruption Show Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific and Saturdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, all on Twitch, which is a very funny stand-up show where um, she stops you from doing too much stand-up and makes it into a more interesting show. Uh, please welcome Dahlia Malik. Hey, thank you. I just started drinking some sparkling water because it's hot. And um, Fuck yeah. I realized I'm doing a podcast and you just had me turn my mic up, so I'm going to be burping loudly we into it. Yeah. Yeah. In I like a good fizz fizz sound as well. Yeah. Also very nice. What uh what flavor do you got there? Yeah, what do you it's do? It's a cranberry. Ooh, sounds delicious. Mm, that's Wait, a what's, too much what's for the me. brand? What's the brand? What are we talking here? We should LaCroix. We should right, know am I allowed to that? say yeah. brands? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. was trying to keep it generic. I was like a sparkling water of no particular name. <laughs> no, we don't this is not yeah. What we don't We're keep not... it generic on We Didn't Weep. We are brand <laughs> names only. Is, I do yeah. I should have said this in my original email to you about all the tech stuff is that I need you to put black tape over any logos. <laughs> Just in case we can hear them through the Yeah, we don't want to hear podcast. those logos. We don't want to hear those. Um, the uh, interruption show is uh, twitch.tv slash interruption show, I believe. It's a, yeah. it's actually, I want to say something about it. It has the, the I think, honor of being the only streaming Twitch comedy show that I have enjoyed. And that's pretty <laughs> much it. Like, that's it. That's the only one that I liked to do. So, all the other um, ones, not very fun. Well, a lot of shows were like, look, we do stand up. Let's just do stand up bad online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what actually you're doing when you do stand up online is you're just doing a podcast that right. doesn't have any interaction with the host. And so Interruption Show is perfect because it is a stand up show that is actually mostly a conversation with Dahlia and her friend co host. So it's like already a podcast. Yeah. Stand up on Twitch is just awkwardly paced monologues. Yes, exactly. Uh, that yeah, no yeah. one would ever actually want to read. I will give this to stand up if, if you at home have not watched an online stand up show. Here's my one thing about it that is better than in than IRL stand up, which is that a lot of the times on big Zoom shows you'll see the people in their houses and you'll see their dogs, and I like that a lot. That's good. Because mm. in a normal show, there's the dog no walk. dogs. There's maybe yeah, one dog, true. and he's a working dog. You know, he's there with somebody who's doing a right, job for. Right. Him. But this and is just can, like you can't talk to that dog. You can't have anything to do with. Yeah, that you dog. can't. Yeah, no, he's, you're not allowed to touch him. But on, oh, you can't touch these either. But still, on Zoom, it's like a two dog minimum, and I enjoy. But that. you can just stare at the dogs. Is what I'm saying. You can kind of totally. just like you can just point your peepers at those dogs and just get an eyeful the whole well, time. Well, this is I'm gonna let's. I mean, okay, this is a secret meeting. The you, you three. Here's the thing that they don't the people I don't think talking about about Zoom calls is that you can choose what to look at and it doesn't have to be a person like who's oh, talking. They have no idea where you are at. Totally. Yeah. You can just oh, pick yeah. the dog and look at the dog the whole time and no one knows. Yeah. And you're talking or, to the dog. It's great. Or if you like put something else like a fun video you want to watch right near your camera, they don't even know you're not looking at Zoom. Yeah. This is so, why we don't do Zoom about calls this? anymore. This yes. has given me so much anxiety because I... <laughs> <laughs> about people looking at your dog instead of your face? No, about what my face looks like while I'm doing stand-up on Zoom. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I did one of the festivals that got not canceled, but they like... I was supposed to do this festival in Arizona and they wound it up got doing digitized. It. Yeah, virtually. And they had this like industry panel where they're like, 
it's really good that you guys are doing Zoom shows because it gives you practice being in front of a camera and you can like look into the camera and make eye contact. And I, I was like, aren't you not supposed to look into the camera? And then now I'm just like, am I making well, too much eye contact? Is this too much? Is this too intense? Well, am I doing what, a bad job? What you need to do is just like any sensible person who appears on the internet, you should just wear a Guy Fox mask, you know? Yes, <laughs> just yes. do all your stand up in a Guy Fox mask. I'm open this to this, way, actually. Uh, Me people, too. Like, you, know, you can't this watch is your a eyes. Really good idea. It's, it pulls in people's attention. It's great. People love that. Um, <laughs> all right. So before we talk about our movie assignment this week, um, what else have you guys been watching this week? Hunter, do you want to start us off? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I'm not going to start with something I watched. I'm just going to okay. talk. I, last week I talked about a game. This week I'm going to talk about a game. It's getting cold. I don't know if you know how this works, but as it gets cold, you start playing games more. That's just I didn't like, know that. Games true. are like they're thing. like the soup of your TV screen. Yeah, and like good games start coming out in the. It's like they know this too. It's like the industry oh. basically only functions from like winter and then into spring of the next year, and then they take a break during the summer. Yeah, is that? Oh, that's the, crazy. The um, the the highly considered thing is that Madden is the harbinger of video games. Madden yeah, yeah, is yeah. always <laughs> it's always this this the summer drought. And then Madden comes out, New and Madden. It's like the Groundhog, and everyone's like, "Okay, Madden's out. Now we can go." It's time to release. Yeah, I they won't release sense. games before Madden. They wait for I, Madden, and then Madden kind of signals that it's cool to go now. It sort of makes go. sense that Madden, especially, would be one that only works in the winter because it seems like with the jocks, it's hard to compete with the sun. Oh, it's so hard to get those jocks inside. You know how yeah. that is. We all yeah. know how that is. We're tr- all trying to get jocks in front of our things that we do, and it's just so hard because they're out there playing. You know, they're they're dogs themselves. You know. They're having fun so, outside. They like so to play it's, outside. So it's Rocktober. It's time for video game soup. Mm-hmm. What, what have you been enjoying? Yeah, so I've been playing this game. Uh, it's funny that I brought it up the way that I did because it actually came out last year, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> that, I could have played this at any point. You but really thought what this I'm saying is through. <laughs> what I'm saying is Madden came out, and I was like, it's time to play games. And so I picked up uh, this game that I wanted to finish last year. Uh, it's called Disco Elysium. Uh, and I would not be surprised if maybe Anthony has brought it. I don't know if it's ever been spoken about on this podcast, but it's a very, very cool game. I have heard nothing but very good things about it, but I have not gotten a chance to play it. Yeah, so it is actually kind of, uh, at this point, to me, kind of a notorious game for gamers to talk about on podcasts specifically and just say how (laughs) good it is. So for people that listen to video game podcasts, it's just going to be another one of those. But to confirm what with what may be, you know, the fifth or sixth podcaster you've heard saying this, if you listen to video game podcasts, it's very good. Uh, What, What is this game? So it's a game set in uh, like an alternate history, uh, like kind of Eastern Europe uh, style thing. I actually think the developers may be from Estonia. I might be I might be wrong and I'm not going to check. Why would you literally literally no way to find out, but literally no way to find out. Um, And you play a a cop, uh, but you're not a very good cop. And in fact, you wake up and you got so drunk last night. You don't remember your name. You don't have your badge. You don't have your gun. Your clothes are strewn about everywhere. And you're apparently working on a case. But this is how you start. And you have no idea. So you kind of just have to... And and it's this is kind of a cliche in games. Games generally have to make it where the character doesn't remember stuff about themselves because you're playing the character, right? right Wouldn't it be know. weird if yeah. the character was yeah. them? I mean, yeah. Yeah, so that's a really not, interesting concept. Hunter, not to uh, interrupt here, but I really think yeah, you yeah. should explain this in a language Alex can understand. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think you should just <laughs> say it's an 
isometric CRPG uh, with no combat. You know, yeah, something right. he really I, can wrap his head around. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I was kind of messing up there because I was describing the story because yeah, that you're was telling me it was a cop forgetty game and that yeah, I, yeah, didn't, yeah. I didn't touch on the mechanics at all. Yeah. Um, well, actually, so I will, and I think you will understand this, Alex. Um, so this is a game where there's not a lot of fighting, right? And, and games kind of have I to like have combat, that. right? Because that's like the game part. That's the part that makes it fun to play, really. I mean, stories are... What's it? What is it? Uh, John Romero, the guy that made Doom, said that stories in video games are sort of like stories in pornos. Like they're really? you expect them, but they're not necessary. Um, yeah, that was uh, not to correct you again, but that was actually John Cormack, the other uh, well, John. Sorry, well, sorry, 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 messed up there. Well, um, but 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 also that sounds wrong, right? Yeah, well, I mean, this it was the 90s when they said oh, that. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't say that. He didn't today. understand the thorough evolution of porn stories that we've gone yeah, through. Right. The it's, revolution. It's porn that evolved, not video In games. Fact, video I, games I'm are pretty tired much exactly where of, they at. I'm so tired of porn that starts with the story of you're a drunk cop who forgot what case you're right, working on. I've right, seen that right. ga- that movie a right. lot. Right. Um, but yeah, so that that's the opening premise of the game. Uh, it's a lot of just talking to people. It's a lot of text. There's good voice acting in it. It's very well written. Uh, and not even just for a game. It's good, well written, probably just for anything with writing in it. Um, and cool. the thing I want to thing I want to mention about it that I really like is uh, your character, who, as I said, is kind of a screw up. Um, while you are talking to other characters and interacting with the story of the game, parts of your personality. Or like parts of your subconscious also speak to you, and it and because you're oh. because you don't know who you are, it's a really beautiful way to not only interact with the world but also interact with your own character because it's sort of like like just to make just to pick the simplest example, there's a part of you that might have a, a problem with addiction, but you don't really know like because you don't know who you are. So they'll the, so you'll run into like alcohol or drugs in the world, and a part of you will come up and say like we should totally drink that alcohol right now, right? But, <laughs> and you can side with them. You could be like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. Or you could be like, no, shut up. That's not who I am. And it's really fun because it personifies it. And it's uh, it's also hilarious. It's a very, very funny game. Um, and so if you haven't checked that out at this point and you play games, you should totally Disco play Disco Elysium. Sure. Yes. Yeah, I, I really, it. I really want to get around to playing that eventually. I believe it's coming to Switch. It is. It uh, is. So that's when I'm going to play it. Oh, now I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you want to play a drinking cop Switch game? <laughs> yes. Well, I want to play a game on Switch. <laughs> do you, uh, you? You do. You do play Switch. Do you play Switch? I play Switch, and I have a few games on PC, but I forgot about my PC when I got a Switch. So. <laughs> oh yeah, Switch, sure. Switch is a real good platform. I like mine quite a bit. Um, Anthony, what have you been doing for your video soup or game soup or whatever um, you're doing for October? So speak, I think this is actually a pretty good segue into this comfort, uh, sort of idea. Uh, I don't know if you guys have looked outside, but the world's a trash pile. Uh, yeah. this, this last, um, week and a half has been, I, I feel like I said this last week, but it's true yeah. this week. This week has been particularly rough, uh, for a lot of reasons, um, but yeah, it just yeah. seems like the world is spinning down. Uh, so I have been trying to suggest sort of nice, um, comforting soups, as you said. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah, want to yeah. suggest a show my wife and I have gotten very into this week. It's on HBO Max. It's a British show called The Great Pottery Throwdown. Oh, uh, I don't know I've never seen it. it. I've never heard of it, but I totally understand it from the name and from okay. all the other shows so, like it that I've watched. It is amazing. It is literally the Great British Bake Off, but with pottery. 
Yeah. Uh, and the same like exact format, same exact challenges, um, same exact kind of like two judges that are, you know, legends in their field. One yeah. sassy, not very funny comic host who does yes. bad banter. <laughs> um, but there's two main differences from the Great British Bake Off. One, uh, it's pottery. You can't eat it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the <laughs> second is the, the sort of Paul Hollywood type guy. Uh, it's this guy named Keith Jones. And he has, he's a, a very sort of, you know, kind of stern, really wants people to do the best. But the thing that separates him from any other host in this show, in a show like this, is that at least once an episode, he will see a creation someone makes and get moved the tears. <laughs> like, he, he literally cries. In every episode, Aww, it's the most that's so anti Paul Hollywood. Uh, yeah, exactly. But he'll just like he'll just come over and look at like a teapot you made and just like burst into tears just because oh, he's man. so moved by it. Um, we we I, we're definitely going to watch this. We recently watched the Netflix version, which is the Great Flower Fight. Yes, so Heather and I watched that a while ago. That was pretty good. I like this better because you do. The, yeah, the main reason why I really enjoy this something someone says in the very first episode about. Um, the way you know, unlike he's he's not he doesn't compare it to like the Great British Bake Off, obviously. But you know, a lot of these shows, especially like Flower Fight or Great British Bake Off, there's sort of like an ephemeral like um side to it. Like this thing exists only for this one moment, and then oh, it's right. gone. You know, but the pottery the, you keep, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. The thing about this pottery is, you know, th- this is essentially every challenge. Uh, they're essentially making heirloom quality uh, pottery. And it's it gets pretty wild in terms of like, they're not just making teapots and cups, but they're doing, you know, full ceramic chandeliers and statues and stuff that like, you know, if well-preserved could last for like thousands of years. Yeah, so you got me. I'm watching there's, it. There's something about that part of the process. Um, and then it's, you know, like, they also, you know, like with we all know the basics of food. So even with like Great British Bake Off, when they kind of do like the history of a certain type of food, vignettes in the middle, it's like okay, yeah, that's cool. But they do it. Uh, they uh, film it in this. Uh, I don't even know what a big pottery factory in London that's been there for like a hundred. Oh yeah, years. yeah. And it's not in a tent in the in in a, some rich person's garden. No. And, uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to like, this is very nerve wracking element. If you've ever made anything with uh, ceramics or pottery that like, you can make something that you're really proud of. But like the the fact that it goes through fire is going to change it. So there's like, there's a lot of talk mm. about like, it's, it's up to the pottery gods now. Yeah. You can make something beautiful, but you're putting it in a fucking oven essentially for yeah. 48 hours something might crack on it and it might yeah. be broken and then you got to kind of work with that uh but and then yeah the people are also cracked and broken yeah exactly um that's, that's but beautiful. it's the stuff they make is like genuinely stunning uh i really love they work in a like it's the type of thing that like, in the back of your head you like you know that there's you know pottery has been around since basically man has uh, and there's all these different, you know, every different country and culture does it. And there's all these different ways. So they'll like bring in like a specific, special way that like Japan, the Japanese uh, fought, use the fire in a certain way to get these really cool effects. And they go, yeah. 
the history of it. And it's just really fascinating. It's very, very sweet. Uh, and it is just like a really good balm for the soul. I I'm, found it. I'm so excited about this. You know, I like um, food TV, uh, but, and I also like, I like the British version of competitions where there's no prize. Yeah. I like that a lot. Like British Bake Off pioneered the idea that instead of spending $200,000 of your budget on a prize, you could give the winner literally nothing and they would be fine. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's, you know, this thing about like when someone's running behind and everyone kind of goes to help them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this it's such a it's such a, an exclusive little world anyway, and they're like kind of nice people who get drawn towards it. That yeah, it's nice to see people do well in it and we, support each other. We finished the first season. There's three seasons out right now. It is definitely the type of thing I'm very excited to see. Like because with these shows, you know, the as they get more popular, they attract sort of better talent every season. Not to say the yeah, yeah, yeah. The first season one talented, but I can't wait to see what totally. they're making by the third season. Uh, but yeah, I tell you, Alex, and you especially, I guarantee you, the first time you see Keith break out in tears, <laughs> you're going to be all in. It is the most delightful thing I have seen. Yeah, no, I'm so into it. The last the last season of Top Chef, the when, during the uh, finals, there was a judge who's this uh, famous Italian uh, butcher who's just this huge guy who just loves meat. And he was weeping about the, the great work this woman had done adapting items from his culture and making them so tasty and delightful and it just yeah man watching a judge cry is uh is a special thing for a yeah, tv I, show i think you're gonna like it it's it's very good i'm very happy a friend told me on do it what else have you been watching this week dahlia um <laughs> i watching is a funny word to use because i watched it all in one day um yeah, sure, sure. I, <laughs> so i i watched um season two of pen 15 on monday like that's oh, how i yeah. spent monday so i'm i'm embarrassed <laughs> um i have heard i've heard almost exclusively good things about pen 15 but i've never actually watched it it's it's great um i think it's probably one of the funniest things i've ever seen on television it's wonderful um yeah it's about middle school and mm-hmm. the the main characters are played by adults, like the adults who wrote the show. So it's pretty <laughs> is it, funny. Is it awkward? Because middle school is like the the time that I would be least interested in revisiting. <laughs> yeah. Of my entire life. I'd rather go through the birthing process again than, than spend another five minutes in middle school. Yeah. It's, oh, it's definitely awkward. It's, yeah. it's literally why I had to watch it by myself because my wife found revisiting middle school to be too traumatizing <laughs> to watch yeah. a whole show about. So she had to tap out after the first episode. She was like, I just can't do this. I cannot yeah. revisit this time in my life. The, what was the... um? The YouTube guy made a movie about middle school. Eighth grade. Bo- Eighth grade. Bo- Burnham. It's, yeah. Bo- Burnham, yeah. Supposedly great, but it's it the is. same thing. I watched the trailer and I was like, that looks like it's great. And I could not imagine sitting through uh, it. Eighth grade was phenomenal. I really enjoyed that movie. I still don't want to do it. I just, uh, the middle school is just so cringy. Oh, God. Ugh. I was trying to Google something about the show and someone had categorized it as cringe. Like, that's yeah. the. As, like the, the official tag, yeah. <laughs> that is the not genre. a tag I click yeah. on a lot. I mean, I have to ask, uh, Alex, have you ever joined the Pen Fifteen Club? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely remember this happening, and I I think the first time I ever saw this 
I guess prank uh, was happening to somebody next to me at a chemistry class table. And so I was like, I got to see the joke play out before I had ever heard of it. So I was aware not to want to be in the club. (laughs) But like the great thing about about that prank is like the ending is like, well, now you have this word on your hand. And it's really not that harmful in the long run. (laughs) So what you're saying, Alex, is you got a ligma. I don't know this one. God damn it. Now I'm afraid. What does this mean? Lick my nuts. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I felt like I was worldly, but it turns out I've, I'm still just, but a naive well, it's, babe. It's usually lick my balls, but I just, I, just, I, like I change better. it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Nuts is more appropriate. Um, <laughs> balls is gross. Nuts is fun. Is it? Okay. Um, yeah, balls is gross. So I was all set, um, as I, I think I teased to you guys last week, which is that I, my wife and I finally finished that Vietnam documentary. And oh, I, yeah, I, had, yeah. I had this great jokes about the Vietnam documentary, but I'm sa- I have to save those. It got bumped because I have something that is more topical. It's more pressing. than the Vietnam War will wait. But the important Vietnam thing... Vietnam War, talk- not very topical. And, yeah, uh, not, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's evergreen, I mean, you know? Yeah, one of the sad things about it is how relevant it is now. But um, the more importantly, though, for this week, uh, what I have to tell you about is uh, I, what I've been watching the most of the last couple of days is that it is Fat Bear Week. I'm Are sorry? you guys aware that it's Fat Bear Week? Or am I Hold doing up. you a huge Hold favor up. right is now? Is this a Hold up. Hold yeah, not a porn thing. Good guess. Good guess. Hold up. Hold. Hold. Uh-huh. Hold. Oh my god, I love it. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's the oh best thing. my god. Yes. Okay. So it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> the, the 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 salmon are running in Alaska, and so the 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 brown bears are gorging themselves on free salmon, and so the 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 lovely people who work at this national park in Alaska have decided that. Katmai, I think National Park decided to do this like social media event where they would post photos of all of their fattest bears, and then people would vote on their and favorite. These are fat these bear. are some plump, plump bears. Dude, they are oh. thick. These are yeah. juicy bears, and <laughs> it is so fun, and I love it. Uh, like just watching bears eat salmon, and then they anyway. So Holly won last year. She's the defending champion. She's got a good shot this year. Chunk is the alpha bear of the uh, the area, so you can't ever like really bet against Chunk. It's kind of difficult. But there's this new bear. doesn't have a name. It has a number, 747. And he is so fat, he cannot sit down properly. And it is amazing. He's put in so much effort this year. So, and I mean, it's a little too touchy feel for me. I wish there was a way that they could like estimate the weight and then give them points for weight gain instead of it being just how we feel about their fatness it's like i wish it was more long jump and less figure skating but right that's what it is it's you're just you're just voting on your favorite fat bear but but even more importantly than the voting because we all win when it's fat bear week the uh the better thing about fat bear week is that it means that uh all of these live cams on the stream in the where the salmon are running you can just put on a little live cam and watch bears catch salmon and eat them all day and this is my my wife and I were both working on our laptops in the main room on the apartment and we will put on the TV just 24 hours a day, just fat bears eating salmon. And every once in a while we'll look up and we're like, ah, you got one. Good job, boy. And then we'll go back to work. And it's amazing. Job, it's, so, it's so soothing. They're so fucking fat, you guys. It's amazing. It's oh, my God. It's my favorite thing in the world right now. I have watched so much fat bear uh, 
streaming. In general, so Explore.org has all the Fat Bear cameras. And also, Explore.org has a lot of other great live cams you can put on while you're working, including the Puppy Room uh, at a project that um, raises dogs for uh, veterans with PTSD. But the puppies are just amazing. And you can watch a live stream of them playing. Uh, there's so much good stuff there. Uh, but especially that I've been like, looking forward to the bears eating out of the waterfall for so long. Anyway, it's- I want to throw out my favorite of the cams that are available. Um, there's one cam that is a salmon cam that yes. to me would be kind of terrifying to watch because you can't see above the water. Right. I'm just looking at salmon and there's at some point a bear cam. is going to crash yeah. in here and yes. get the salmon. So it's, it's a great way to actually see the salmon's point of view of this exercise, which is like, we're all so horny. Why do we keep dying? It's a different story from the salmon's perspective, because um, like you, th- you you see the, the clips on like a nature documentary of bears like catching salmon in midair, and it's kind of impressive. But it turns out there's just so many fucking salmon that they just wander out and then put their head underwater and come up with a fish, and it seems real easy because there's so many fish, and so you mostly just watch them devouring fish. And, uh, I mean, but yeah, you don't need to shit on the bears to make your point, Alex. I mean, no, Anthony, it looks it looks easy. No, you need to see this. It looks easy. I could do this. I could. The do underwater this. cam is fun, is terrifying. But you, what I every once in a while, you just, when you see a bear galumping by underwater, it's it is pretty special. So I like that one a lot. Um, uh, and again, talking about evergreen stuff, Alex talking about cams and fat bears on yeah. cams underwater <laughs> yeah. is totally. Totally an evergreen. I'm hipping these bears yeah. right now. I just like, yeah, I just like watching them eat. You know, yeah. Does uh, have an OnlyFans? I'm looking. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, dude. If seven four seven had an OnlyFans, I might be tempted to I'm contribute. Well, so also it's crazy because Alaska is is so insane. This park is four million square or four million acres, and it only has six miles of human accessible trails out of four million acres. Like you, it's basically this park is just for bears. And it's and probably Good. probably mining oil and, and stuff, but mostly bears. Um, Looking and it's, at Russia, you know, yeah, normal Alaska <laughs> yeah. stuff. Totally classic bear Alaska stuff. It's just great, you guys. So go go vote in bear for Fat Bear Week, or we're all winners. You don't even have to vote; just go watch them eat. It's a great and, time. And you need to vote now. The voting has already started, so you need Voting's to get your started. votes it's in a, early. It's a tiered, you know, tournament style. So you vote head to head which I think also kind of changes a little bit. But yeah, you can vote now, but there'll be other opportunities as the rounds advance and we see who's winning. Um, I haven't actually seen who's doing well in the first round. I'm just watching them eat. It's great. So Fat Bear Week, everybody. And then next week, the big Vietnam conversation will finally happen. It'll All right. happen. Let's jump into our actual topic for this week. This can week on the show. Can I just say, uh, I, I'm going to throw out a bet right now. Yeah. I, Hunter, I bet mm-hmm. he was for it. He was for what? <laughs> Yeah, I bet he's gonna come out with a real hot take. Totally worth it. <laughs> I was sort of sent even more people. We should have been there. It was good yeah. that we were there. Given yeah, how yeah. how biased Ken Burns' documentary about the Civil War is towards the South, I was sort of expecting that this movie would be like, "What a no, great time we had in Vietnam," but it's not. No, it's uh, the amount of interviews. We'll talk about it next week, but the yes, amount of will. interviews with the Viet Cong is super fascinating. Really interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Instead, we're going to talk about this week's topic. So this week for Slightly Condescending Film School, we are watching the 1982 animated feature, The Secret of Nim, directed by Don Bluth. In fact, the first movie made by Don Bluth and his mm-hmm. band of Disney outsiders. This was the original 
Disney schism movie. He left Disney over them not wanting to make Secret of Nim. So that's what we got to watch. Um, uh, based on the 1971 book uh, by Robert O'Brien, Ms. Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Uh, but they couldn't use that name, of course, because they'd be sued by Frisbee. So yeah, everyone knows Frisbees are really litigious. They're like super litigious. So they, yeah, they originally changed the name to the Olympics and the Rats of Nim. <laughs> um, that's a weird joke. Dahlia. Yeah, that was really weird. You, and I liked it. Uh, I just remember them being super. They sued a Portland salami company to not be called Olympic Provisions, even though oh they were like God. from the Olympic Peninsula originally. It's like, it's also the name of the land, you guys. Also, yeah, who's confused off. between the Olympics and the salami company? Anyway, um, I just think of them as particularly litigious. Importantly, uh, let's talk about this movie, though. So, Secret of Nim- so uh, Dahlia, why did you select this film for us or nominate this film, I suppose? So this is the first movie that I remember ever watching, like in living memory. I think I saw oh. it when I was like three years old and cool. it was just my favorite movie. Um, and it it's so dark and yeah. I rewatched it for the first time as an adult during quarantine. And I was just shocked that this was <laughs> shown to children and that it was my favorite movie as a three-year-old. So I feel like it... Um, probably contributed to who I am as a person now if I found that to be like comforting in any way yeah um, this is an I, interesting earliest movie but also that raises such an interesting question that I, I I cannot think I have no idea what my first movie was Anthony Hunter do you remember your first ever movie uh the one that stands out most I think may have been Tim Burton's Batman oh, uh yeah. which really made quite an impression on me when I was young. yeah uh that's the first movie I can remember seeing. I have a cool answer to this question because I, my mom told me that. Well, I, I don't know if this is the. This is probably not the first movie I saw on the TV, but my first memory of seeing a movie and the first movie I ever saw in theaters was they put Snow White and the Seven Dwarves back in theaters, huh. and my mom took oh, me to that. Cool. Back when they they took it out of the vault. Yeah. They took it out of the vault. They put it back in the theaters for like a weekend or something. That's fun. Yeah, I feel my my I'm sure the earliest. It's definitely not my first, but my earliest film memory, I guess, is seeing Aladdin in theaters. And it, uh, like I rem- all I remember is uh, laughing so hard I could not breathe. Right, at the genie. I just yeah, thought that, that was the guy. funniest thing I've ever seen or will ever see. Right. Um, I also. I think my earliest home TV memory I could think of at the top of my head is seeing the uh, Star Wars, uh, the la- the third the third one, Return uh, of the Jedi, Return of the Jedi, of the Jedi um, which my was like my parents were just watching on TV one day, and so like my earliest memory of Star Wars is them being like, "Oh, that's his dad." <laughs> um, that's how I found Star Wars. They were well, just trying to sucks. catch me up so I could understand the movie. Um. Anyway. Uh. Okay. So. So. Let me give you, uh, for those of you who have not seen The Secret of Nim, this is my first time watching it this week. I had not seen this before. So let me give you, uh, the listener at home, my patented three-sentence summary of the movie The Secret of Nim. And it starts now. It's plowing season on the Fitzgibbons farm, which means it's time for all the mice to pack their shit and move to safety. <laughs> you're just ignoring the mice no for, okay the no jump, we'll get to the, the mice we'll get to the mice that okay. you would even oh, okay and okay. let's be honest it's all did you see that wife it's always plowing season at that farm. <laughs> let me tell you gross okay um uh but uh 
in the in Mouse World, Mrs. Brisby's son is too ill to go outside, so a widow mouse and a horny crow must seek the help of genetically enhanced super rats to help them <laughs> escape using a series of pulleys and ropes. The bad rat uses this charity work as an excuse to murder the king rat, who is also inexplicably a libertarian wizard, so the widow mouse uh, uses a magical amulet to move her house without any of their help, and everything turns out fine, fine and the crow gets laid. And that's the movie. Yeah. That yeah. Is well, there's the some death and stuff, though. Well, so there's the straight-up murder. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, yeah, the, ba- the bad rat. Everything yeah. is not fine. <laughs> Nicodemus. Well, well, is that a spoiler? This no, came no, out we, in we, Oh, we're yeah, going to spoil we, it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, you can definitely talk about the ending of the movie. But yeah, Nicodemus is dead. I was not particularly attached to him anyway. I thought he was weird. <laughs> I thought he was good weird. You think he was yeah, good I, weird? I, he was yeah, great weird. He was... Yeah, I just don't. Okay, so one thing that is like was like very strange about watching this movie that made it hard to connect to is that they're like like the story is about this experiment on rats that made them too smart for their own good, but then the movie was like also they're wizards and they carry swords. Mm. Um, well, like oh, it, yeah, there's is that what the story's about though, or is that well, just, just like... as an element? I just thought that element was like okay, so why is there also this magic rat? Like that's well, they didn't inject him with magic also well because because they made their own rat magic technology that you <laughs> right, don't that, understand because you're combination a of making and technology like making technology and and um jewels that create force fields is a little bit hard for me to jump right and but I, they're they're rats they do stuff they don't they they do stuff that you don't know about you know what i mean yeah. they've got their own special rat wisdom that so you I don't understand so i looked at and the reason why they are magic is because don bluth was like I think they should be magic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it. that was part of the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, my, he just added them. the most confusing thing from a plot level for me for this movie is the the idea that like the whole driving force of this film is that there's a sick child who can't be moved. Uh, all the mother is going out of the way to do all this stuff for the character, and it's literally not a character. The youngest mm-hmm. son. It that, doesn't that, have yeah, we never single, see him. Doesn't have a single line. He's sitting there. It's just one of those things that it's like, that's a really weird choice. Uh, and that kind of goes into what I think a lot of what we've sort of been talking around here uh, and what kind of makes this movie so interesting. is like the first sort of Don Bluth movie. Yeah, well, let's talk uh, about Bluth, which that, is a hard, <laughs> the name makes it hard to take him seriously because yeah. of uh, that uh, show. But anyway, yeah, but, tell me about Don Bluth. But I mean, like, to me, what I've, I've, I've never been like, I was never the biggest fan of his. I do think like his story is really interesting within the context of like, like uh, him you know, splitting off from Disney. People like Brad Bird splitting off from Disney, uh, and like making you know Don Booth films, The Iron Giant over at Warner Brothers. These things certainly kick Disney into gear to like begin the Disney Disney Renaissance. Like I don't think you get to the Disney oh. Renaissance. Uh, without like these major leaving and competitions, right? Right. That's so, such an interesting point because mostly the way this feels to me is it feels like you couldn't afford a Disney movie, you would go see this. Not that they're different prices, but it just feels like this is just cheap knockoff work. Well, 
I so mean, the idea that it also made them try harder I, is really I interesting. Think, I, I think, think that's a little unfair because this yeah. this movie goes places that a Disney movie would never go. Uh, I mean, so not it's not just a cheaper version of it. It's also like bolder in some ways. But yeah, yeah I think it's pretty I, badass to be like, I don't need your Disney money. I'm going to tell the story I want to tell. Yeah, they mortgaged their houses for this movie. Yeah. If this yeah, movie had failed, they would have all gone down. That doesn't well, sound badass so much as like, super reckless but well, I, I, <laughs> uh, this I is also, the, this is parasite the animated movie yeah. for, uh, for <laughs> the show i feel it already but I, I, most, uh, but I let me let me say this so i feel like this is important to the sort of the context of what i was saying it's not just the the fact that like thematically storytelling wise you know a huge part of why he left the reason why like brad bird bounced out of disney so fast after being like a child prodigy is like this movie I mean, like, by modern standards, the animation might not impress you super well. But especially if you compare this to, like, the fucking shit that Disney was making around this time, the animation quality in The Secret of Nim is so much higher quality than anything else. And I think that's a big part of the reason why the movie doesn't necessarily work for me as an adult seeing it. Because I Mm. do think it, it takes a lot of... Like, animation's fucking difficult doing some of the stuff they're doing in this movie must have been such a tedious nightmare in terms of like, especially there's like a sequence with like shadows running on the wall when you can't see the yeah. characters, like stuff like that in animation is stuff that a Disney exec at that time would have said, are you out of your fucking mind? No, we're making this stuff right. as cheap as possible. We're not doing old school techniques. We're cutting corners whenever we can. And a big part of Don Bluth's whole thing and what kind of makes his movies stand out is like, it's not that the movie looks cheap, but the movie looks way more expensive than other Disney movies around that same time. And it's like that, that push that like, you know, Disney was cutting corners, you know, a few years after this, they would release like the black cauldron, which almost destroyed Disney animation studios. And like, they had to like work their way back up to, um, so, you know, being so able to make the movies they ended up making. I just want to, okay. I want to, I want to, um, not defend this position, but explain better, which is not that I, now think that's what's happening but i think that was the perception when i was a kid was like you'd go see a disney movie or you'd see one of the other companies where it's not as good well i I think there's still some of that with like you'd watch pixar or you're like oh you find oh no no this is sony or whatever it's not like not that it's gonna look shitty although in the case of uh, pixar and sony animation it will but also in the context of this where it's like the knockoff is not just the the look of the shadows, which I don't think I gave a shit about as a kid, but it'd be like, oh, the hilarious, funny talking animal I'm supposed to like the comic relief crow will say nothing funny for 86 minutes. But that's I, part of the cheap knockoff is they just no. don't know how to do interesting well, movies. The same well, that's way. the kind of the point I was sort of getting at with sort of my bigger Don Bluth theories. I think Don Bluth is one of those directors who is far more interested in like the technical aspect of it than like breaking a story, which is something like Disney is really known for like Pixar, especially mm-hmm. that's why I, I love like Brad Bird so much because he has like, he's a combination of both those things. He really gets story and he really gets animation. Uh, but I think Don Bluth was always sort of more excited and like, Oh, I really want to spend the effort to do this really challenging thing right. or break this ground. And like, that's really important. And I do think that like, it, it is easy in hindsight to say, like, post-Disney renaissance, yeah, other animated films are going to feel like a knockoff because we're dealing with, like, 
arguably some of the greatest animated films. I mean, maybe some of the greatest films ever in that time. Uh, But I mean, again, I think if you go back to 1982 or whenever this came out and you pit this up against like Fox and the Hound, this is a better movie than that. So much better movie than like the rescuers. This is a better. It's hard for me to believe that about either of these, because I just can't imagine liking something less, but I, (laughs) Oh my God. I do. Uh, man, I really wanted to like this too. I was so expecting this to be a delightful evening. Um, (laughs) I was a little mistaken. And in fact, actually the thing that happened was like 15 minutes in the movie. My wife did this thing where she said, whose suggestion was this? Um, (laughs) Like she's looking for which of my friends to be mad at wow. for making her do it. Like I, there, like I, I am so interested in that technical aspect. Like reading about what he wanted to do with the animation is like super interesting. But like if you use that to design rats that look like shit, like it feels well, like I mean, a real waste. No, see, I mean not like not like they don't. Look I don't. Good. I really yeah. am confused. I am. I'm yeah. very like confused. no. Like I mean like the rat hands with the really long fingernails and the and the the warts all over. It's like you mean it just looks gross. Like they look gross. Yeah, you're like, you, but your character but he's design an old is wizard. Yeah, yeah it's a style he shouldn't be a wizard. That makes no goddamn sense. But, but also, wait, but, no, no, that seems very appropriate for an old wizard to have yeah, like warty. This is what I'm saying is it just felt like it doesn't it feels like they the character design just feels kind of unappealing and like they they spend all their money on rotoscopes and no money on somebody to design characters we'd want to look at. Well, see, okay, okay. I I think all of Don Bluth's movies have this like the color palette is kind of strange. uh, Yeah, the color palette's strange. Right, right, right. But see, here's the thing, though. We're both saying the same thing, but I love that. Like, I love that the color palette is weird and that things look kind of gross. Like. There is a there is a coolness and a boldness to these movies, not even not just this one, but all all of them that we've kind of lost in kids movies. Like it, it's weird. Like it's like what Dahlia was saying at the beginning. It's weird that we even watch these movies as kids. And I, I watched the heck out of a lot of these movies, although I never saw this one, which is kind of strange now that I think yeah, about it. But. I mean, I, I would definitely say like the closest comparison to Don Bluth, especially from this time, would be someone like Jim Henson who I think falls into a lot of the same pitfalls in terms of like, doesn't really care about like the story or the fluidness mm-hmm. it's more about mm-hmm. like what I can do and like having that thing. Like I think both of them kind of get that thing that like kids movies should be a little fucked up and scary. Like I, I really appreciate that. I always did. Yeah, I like that. That's certainly uh, not my complaint. I love a fucked up I, scary. Kids I wouldn't movie. say like any of Jim Henson's movies were like, really well-told stories. They're I agree. Like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to to give up that this movie has some faults when it comes to like the yeah. scripting and stuff. But like, for example, the, the sequence with the tractor, I'm watching that and I'm thinking like, oh my God, this is like the first, this is like a Toy Story type action sequence. This is like a Pixar action sequence in a movie that came out, what, like over 10 years before that. Yeah, so I like mean, you're not yeah. going to see okay, any of okay. the '80s Disney movies at this point. You're not going to see that connection to like the great uh, animated films that we have now or that we consider yeah, and, in the canon. And again, it, it goes into that like animation is fucking difficult, especially at this time. Like the 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 stuff that is like, yeah, I think this movie has like some connective tissue problems in terms of its stories and its character. But, like, the animation that is up there, I think, like, they chose, like, we only have so much money. We have to cut these scenes. We have to put all of our time and effort on the sequences that really matter. And, like, that shows in spades. Uh, how do you not, how do you not, when you're first doing your cuts, be like, well, we'll, we'll keep the writer and we'll keep the character well, designer? 
they kept the writer and the character designer. You're just asking for this movie to be something else than it well, is. Like, actually, they, what they, they did was they took the script that the writer wrote and made it into one brief flashback. And then Dawn wrote this crazy, stupid, magical element that has nothing to do with the rest of the story and doesn't make sense in this movie. So they like they did throw away the writers to let him fix it in a way that he wanted to that made it worse. Okay, well, so let's talk. Let, you're kind of skating around the problems with the script without actually getting specific about what what are the problems with it. Tell me this. Any one of the three of you, can you honestly tell me that there was a moment with the crow that made you laugh? Uh, I mean, <laughs> he's okay. He's my favorite so, character. Yeah, so here's <laughs> right, the problem. He's the yeah, I can only... tell you, no, you did not grow up with Dom DeLuise. I can tell that you did not, okay? I did not. I could not tell so, you who Dom so DeLuise is. So I grew up is, with Dom it... DeLuise. So like... Yes, it was funny to me. Now, I accept that there are a lot of people that Dom DeLuise does not really inspire laughter out of. And I get that. <laughs> There's a lot of Dom DeLuise hate out there. I've seen it. Okay. <laughs> I know that it exists. That is not me. Okay. This guy makes me laugh. And honestly, I was, I remember watching it and being like, I'm glad that Dom DeLuise isn't turned all the way up to 11. Cause I've seen like Five Goes West. And his character in that movie is just because it's so over the top, him doing his own like stammering thing and like all of his like kind of weird vocal tics that he's always working on. But it's like turned up way too high in that movie. Even as a kid, I remember being like, Jesus, Dom, will you just kind of back off a little bit? Um, (laughs) So like for me, for this movie, as somebody that that really likes him, um, this actually seemed a lot more like on balance. I, would I think say. I'd be sadder if I really liked him because it would be like, why didn't they give him some fun lines? Why doesn't this? You didn't laugh when he said that he felt the call of the wild in his wishbone or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny when you say it. Um, when you yeah, when you what mostly he was like because he was showing us his ass while he did it. Like the shot was him looking through his legs, like showing us his funny, butthole. I'm and all I'm hearing is funny shit right lady. now. Yeah, but yeah, I, he was a really horny crow. That was his whole character. Yeah. Was like, I'm a horny That's crow who can't funny walk. To you. <laughs> no, no, I wanted it to be. I just want to wish also, it was. Like, stress again that you. It is very odd to like. I again, I, I, I didn't get a lot out of this. I hadn't seen this since I was very, very young. I thought it was like, okay, middling at best. Like, I totally understand if people have a lot of nostalgia for it. And I think a kid yeah. would probably still really like this movie. But I do think that you're kind of viewing this movie from 1982 through the lens of, like, pristine, super high-quality animation that we've gotten in the last 20 years, right? I well, do it's not like you want primary colors and round shapes. And, uh, <laughs> I would I would definitely enjoy round shapes and fewer and warts. cuteness. Uh, yeah, I would, I would like cute. You just want a basic Pixar movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, well, no, I, mean, well, look, I, I mean, I love dark kids' movies. It's probably my favorite way to do this. And certainly that's not something Disney was a stranger to. They've killed a lot of characters on screen even before this. Like Bambi is a Disney moment long before this. What sure. specifically what you're saying is I have to remember that for the 80s, Disney made almost exclusively crap. And that's really interesting because I did not watch like all those Disney movies that that people talk about from that time period is like before my Disney stuff. I just said like one of my first movie memories is Aladdin. So like the bulk of my childhood viewing was in the Disney Renaissance best films of all time. Like the my my movies that I watched a million times as kids were Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, which are still phenomenal. Um, yeah. So I guess, They're yeah, compared to other shit that I haven't seen, shit. I could. 
they're not doing a live action remake of the rescuers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the other movies they made from those movies times. are forgotten at this. Point. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it definitely is forgotten. I, I did watch the rescuers down under. I think I liked that one. I don't remember. Um, uh, but yeah, so compared to really good movies, it's not that. That's fair. I mean, one thing that is weird is uh, anytime somebody has something they watched as a kid, and then I watch it for the first time not as a kid, it's just like a different conversation. So I'm in this weird place where I have 0% nostalgia for this movie. I couldn't tell you anything about it beforehand. So yeah, I don't you, know. You just love the dunk on children and their opinions. <laughs> not what's happening. <laughs> favorite thing. Um, uh, I did for the show. We watched uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven a couple years ago, which is also Bluth. Yeah. yeah, and it's dark and weird, and I liked it having seen it for the first time as an adult. Where I just like this, I was just trying to find one little shred of something to grab I, onto. And it, I, what it feels like is it feels like somebody who didn't have very long to make a movie or very much money and focused on the wrong parts of it. And the fact that they made this movie and almost ruined their all, all their lives is like super interesting. And I love the animations <laughs> stuff that they talk about. That's super interesting. It's like a fascinating piece of film history, but it is not an enjoyable way to spend 90 minutes. And it feels like Anthony, okay, you hundred okay. percent agree with Alex, me Alex, but because I, I said it, you have to be against it. No, he's just trying to be on. He's just trying to balance it because you're, what I what I'm looking to get here is we've had you in film school for a long time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, You've been mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. a couple semesters at this mm-hmm. point, and I'm just looking for you to because I even have some in my head. I'm just not willing to share them right now because I'm with this movie and you're against it. Okay, but what are some specific problems, especially with like the script? Because it, when it, if it just comes down to taste, like yeah, you didn't like the colors, that's not going to hit as hard as far as like a critique of what doesn't work about the story. Because I think there are things that don't work about it. Yeah. Um, I I mean, the, so the colors being weird is not something that I have a problem with. I kind of like that about it if it was like in service of something, but it's not clear what it's trying to do. Not I mean, tone. I, I mean, it's a dark tone. The story has a dark tone. So, I mean, it, it, the world of the story has a weirder color palette because the tone of the story is kind of, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know? Yeah, also, I think that like you... I, I have, especially kind of in retrospect, sort of learning this after the movie, like, I give a certain leeway to any first-time filmmakers' movies. Like, just inherently. Yeah, yeah sure. To, like, take a few more bumps. But, I mean, like, if you want to get into, like, something, like, to me, my one of my biggest pet peeves in especially animated kids' movies is uh, when some animals talk but not others what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah. oh, I have the what? same thought. Why, yes, yes, yes. Why can like mouse, mice, rats, and crows talk, but like bugs and cats can't? No totally. way. Great no way. Is, what the fuck is that about? Also, oh, and that I, cat does not look like a cat. No, no it doesn't look healthy. They are overfeeding <laughs> that cat. Yeah, Dragon is a fucked up cat. Yeah, yeah I, he, it's like you know he's evil just because he's ugly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and in terms of the logic of that, like you could say, well, the rats can talk and the and a couple of the mice can talk because they got this magic serum from Nim, but then she is just a regular ass mouse, which yeah. is weird for her husband, also not pictured, to have um been like, well, he's in, I the, got he's in a flashback, but yeah. He's briefly a flashback, that's true. But to be like, I was I was uh super engineered to be the smartest rat of all t- uh, mouse of all time. 
and I'm just going to marry this mouse who can't talk and has a mouse brain, um, which is a little weird. I they were already but, married. I don't, I don't think that is the the rules, though, the world. I'm, I'm pretty sure that animals talking doesn't necessarily have to do with their intelligence. No, I know, I know. But I'm saying it's like I would be willing to grant that if that's what it was, oh, but yes, it's not okay. that. Yes. Like, that's the element that almost makes it make sense is this cat did not have this thing happen to it. But also, not only do they talk, but they also speak English. Like, they understand what people say because she's really mad about the... She's, like, really um, in, impassioned when she finds out Nim is coming. Uh, so, like... The yeah the the rules of the rules of that don't make sense. I've mentioned this before, but I I don't think it's, we could we could gloss over the fact that it is a science world that has magic for no reason. Yeah, I mean, I, the the wizard element where he has a magic mirror and then her magic the magic stone where like they've been building, uh, this elaborate ship sail rig of ropes and pulleys because they're genius rats to move her house. And then she's like, oh, actually, you know what? I could have just used this magic necklace. Well, she um, didn't know that, obviously. I will, yeah, she accidentally I'll used her magic a, necklace? Like, I'll it's, grant you I mean, that it's, it's a deus ex machina It's the ending. most deus ex machina you could possibly sure, have. Sure, 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 sure. I'll give you that. I'll give In you that. Movie, to solve the problem that doesn't make any sense anyway, because pneumonia does not mean you can't ever be moved. Um, like, the whole driving force makes no sense. And then she it goes on this. cold outside. It, 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 she does there explain that several times. That it's, there's they a chill dropped the his whole house from like 30 feet up and then he's fine. But if he gets the wind by his face, he'll die of pneumonia. Like put him in a blanket. Well, but they're, but they're, they're having to move far away as I believe the... Right, but they were going to move the house with him in it. Also, well, right, because they don't have to actually con- move him. It's a concrete block. It's not well incident. Just like the... the so the, 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 dry, the, the inciting incident of the story doesn't make a lot of sense. But okay, I, here's, fine. Here's, we're going on this adventure. Her adventure is she goes to the Great Owl. We have no idea why he's great. We don't know anything about him. I mean, look mm-hmm. at that motherfucker. That's a great owl. No, he's he's, he's a no. He's a good owl. He's not great. He's a good owl. But then he's like, when she talks to other people, they're like, no one has ever survived seeing the Great Owl before. So we don't know why. That's just like a mm-hmm. crazy, interesting thing that's never explained. And uh, also, she went and, and saw this old guy. He looks almost exactly the same as the as Nicodem- Nicodemus. What is his yes. name? Yes, yeah. Nicodemus. They have like the same eyes and almost the same face too. Well, it does look like also like a lot of the character animation. Like the rabbit looks like it was just straight lifted from other character design, like Disney rabbit design. And then the the mice are the rats are like straight Robin Hood cells that they just took whole. Cloth is that true? Like, I, I mean, no. like visually, no, no but no. it is. It's like these are a hundred percent. I mean, this is just only, the character design of another movie. There's only but anyway, so many ways to draw a mouse, you know, like I just, I think that's not even close to true. Yeah. But like, we don't know anything about her. Like her driving, her story doesn't make. We we get nothing about her. In fact, like you'd be like, you might list this on Netflix. You might star it as like strong female lead. But all she does is get allowed things because of her dead husband we don't meet and then she does nothing until she magically finds it in her heart to move matter that's actually not um, true she gets captured and she frees herself so yeah she gets out of that did, cave that's true we yeah. did the, the, by herself yeah, so and no one helps her so three quarters of the way through the movie we see her swim a little well she so, also the, the, goes we, to the she goes to the great she risks herself for her children uh she goes actually for ages she goes she does to a lot owl. of stuff yeah, she goes yeah. on a long walk, but like that's not none of those are character. Like we don't know anything about her. Well, also there's She's the action courageous. sequence with the with the tractor where she risks her life, uh, and and they happen to actually stop a tractor as two mice. Yeah, that's interesting. I, are Certainly. You, 
are you like, I mean that's that that's what happens. I, I, I don't know. I want to ask you this and I'll be completely serious here. Are you by any chance like polishing up your resume to join the Cinema Sins crew? Uh, I just I, really <laughs> think you're, you're like brutally I don't know what that means, up. but I can tell that it's an insult. Look. <laughs> I, I, every time we talk about story, you guys just like do this thing where I'm like, I think the story doesn't make sense. And I tell you a thing that doesn't make sense. And you're like, that makes sense. The story is fine. I okay, feel like we should well, be able to actually just, analyze to, the story we elements. Zoom, we have to zoom in. We have to zoom in more. And we have to talk about something you, specific. Like, do in you order know to any, like, what that. is the, what is the like emotional journey that the, uh, that Mrs. Brisby goes on? Uh, we, she goes on a physical journey, but like, what is, how does she grow and yeah, change yeah, yeah, over yeah, the course yeah. of this movie? How does she yeah. grow and change? No, I mean, I, I, I I just feel like I do like I, I would be willing to have these conversations with you. I think with this film is the type of thing that like I definitely like I said, I'm with you in the sense that I, I don't think this movie is particularly very good. I know, then why is it so hard to get you to agree no, with anything else I no, say? Because I just when you're like when you're like just I'm like I'm also just more forgiving of it as like a as a piece, and I think there's more interesting things in it than like nitpicking and like picking apart uh really small. Like I'm with you. Like the the plot, well, to be fair, he is or, saying that it just doesn't work. Like that that yeah. none of it works really as far as yeah, and like that. I wouldn't really call that a nitpick. I would call that like a overall dismissal. A, a nat yeah. pick. You're saying there's, you know, like there's, there are like major sort of structural issues with it. I just think that it's the type of thing that for me, I like, I, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but like the way I kind of view, you know, most art is in a very kind of like in a very first off sort of binary way. Like does, does the piece stand up on its own or does it fail? And if it fails, I will be with, with you to like tear it apart for anything. But for me, if a, if a work like passes that initial test of like, I just say, yeah, I think it is as like, as a whole, it works fine enough. I'm willing to forgive a lot of these little things. And for this, to me, this is the type of movie that like, I think that I'm, uh, I'm with you on everything. I, I, to a certain extent, but there's just a part of my mind that in like a back of my head, I'm just like, because they, for every, like, every minute of good idea that I wish that you're mentioning that this plot had, they have to draw 24 frames for each second. (laughs) So there's just a part of my head that's just like, yeah, I guarantee you, if you ask them these questions afterwards, they'd be like, yeah, this shit's tough. We only were able to make 83 minutes worth of movie here. You know, like they, yeah. I mean, I agree with that, but I think it's good. (laughs) (laughs) well i'm sorry dahlia i don't mean to be so uh uh quick to to shit on this thing uh, that you like so much well this is how the show works is somebody's gonna be the hater and you never know who it's gonna be (laughs) and it's kind of a fun game of like it's usually me well so what is it I really want to do that episode episode alex can you book that episode when the guest is the hater when yeah, I guess, like that. That guess, you need to do that. A guest suggests something that they haven't seen since they were young, and then, and like, then they hate it. Yeah, I fucking hate this. Why did I make you guys watch this? <laughs> well, this is why I rewatched it as an adult because I wanted to see if it held up because so few things from my childhood do hold up. Mm-hmm. And and you felt like it did. Oh yeah, for sure. Because I <laughs> I don't remember it. I was so young, and I never I never watched it again, even as an older child. So this was almost like my first time watching it again. I like some of the visuals were familiar, but for the most part, it was almost like watching it anew. And 
Mm. I was like, for sure this holds up. I do have like, I wouldn't even call it a problem. I'm like, yeah, it's a little iffy that the amulet solved the main problem rather than yeah, the character Yeah, we, we know so little but, about it. Like, Yeah. Yeah, but I'm like, I don't care. I can dismiss that because it's beautiful like visually and it entertained me and um, the writing's not shit. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> there's, a, there's a quote from Don Bluth I saw when he was asked about that and he was, said, uh, well, it's like a metaphor for inner strength, basically. Like he just wanted a way to visualize yeah. inner strength because he's a yeah. very literal filmmaker. Yeah, uh, he almost he what also, they even say in the text too, because they yeah. just say like it's activated by your inner courage or whatever. And I yeah. do—it's like uh, barely even a metaphor, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I do want to say like Alex, you like I I'm with you to the sen- to the extent that like when Heather and I were watching this last night, she she looked at me at one point and went, uh, "So who paid you to watch this?" Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, you, got us, you know, uh, some uh, one of our listeners making us. I like Heather; you know? she's a good one. Um, but yeah, it's just, to me, it's just like, I don't know. I think that if it, it, it feels to me like the ambition wasn't there to tell a great story. It was more of like, we, let's get an animation studio up and running here, you know? And like, I wish that Don Bluth, I think this with all of Don Bluth movies, like I said, I just don't think he necessarily really gets story in that yeah. way. Uh, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, especially someone like Disney and like the Disney animation studio, once they kind of like. You know, like these are these are these are companies that you you know you hear about like Pixar or Disney Animation Studios. Now they spend you know like three four years cracking a story before they even start animating it, and yeah. like, that's why it uh, you know something like you know one of the really good Disney movies was something like I like I didn't really like Frozen Two. I would say Frozen Two has almost all of the same problems that I have with this movie. And you look at like there's a really good documentary on Disney Plus about the making of Frozen Two that's incredibly honest. And it's just like, dude, we had a deadline before production started. It had to be out this month of twenty nineteen, you know? And like they are just racing to that. And you just see them like making compromises because they don't have the time or like this idea didn't work. So they have to throw it all out and start all over. And it's just like these types of movies, especially under a deadline, are so incredibly challenging. Um, that I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Dawn and about this like splinter thing. Um, but it just reminds me of this, like what you're saying about that is like, it reminds me that uh, this thing that I found in my wiki hole about this movie, which <laughs> he specifically said when he was starting the studio that they wanted to return animation to its golden era, concentrating on strong characters and story and experimenting with often more labor intensive uh, filmmaking techniques. But it seems like two out of the three things he specifically said are things that he did not do super well. Mm-hmm. Um, the animation techniques well, are super hey, whoa, interesting. Whoa, whoa. We are not talking about his whole filmography, and I'm not willing to say that that he. I'm willing. I'm willing to concede that this movie has some story problems. I wouldn't even say that they're problems so much as they're just things that anyone would watch the movie and be like, "Yeah, that could have been better for X yeah. reason." Like, I think the fact that the crow does nothing for the plot. It's like this is the the crow. Even though the crow works for me as a character because I like Dom DeLuise and I find him charming. Yeah. Um, the fact well, that that this is the the shallowest form of the uh, comedian cast as comic relief in the yeah. children's story, and they're only really there to do comic relief and absolutely nothing else. Like the genie in Aladdin, 
saves Aladdin. Like yeah, he does things. Yeah. He, he, and he, and both well, both physically and he emotionally saves Aladdin because Aladdin lets him go. Like that's, that's the journey true, that's for true. Aladdin. And that's and, good character. And this stuff. crow gets sent on a mission that's crucial to helping the plot along. And, and then what do they it. do is he just shows up late. Well, I, I do want to say, I, I really need to stress, if we're going to talk about the importance of this crow, the most important thing the crow does in the movie is it introduces um, children to the Japanese art of exotic rope play. Yes, uh, it does do that. When he's all bound up and tied by the ants. Dude. I mean, that is just classic. Like, it's, oh, it was, it was hot. Introducing to while they're young. You know, the knots are super important. They need to be very... <laughs> yeah, those children mice were so good at doing no, like erotic knot tying. That was crazy. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive stuff. And like that's the kind of stuff Don is Don for, you know? Dude, like, you're joking, but, like, in my opinion, like, the Don... Like, the kids that watched the Don Bluth movies as they were kids, like, more than the Disney movies, those are the ones that are a bit freaky. And I'm one yep. of those kids. <laughs> so, like, when I watch this movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. I am freaky. And I remember yeah. how it happened. But yeah, it, I do think that there is like it, there's such a difference in quality between like the Don Bluth movies that he's doing on his own, and then like once him and Spielberg team up, right? You know, and like you get that sort of like Spielbergian sort of touch that you can just like you can just mm. tell he had an influence in it, like the same way that like there's a difference between the first Transformers movie and the rest of them. Like you can just feel when Steven Spielberg checked out and was like, <laughs> do it on your own. You know, there's just a certain quality he brings to it. So I do think like working, so, working with him is much more interesting as a film filmmaking than like totally like this, you know? So one of the reasons why of the movies that uh, you suggested, Dahlia, was that we picked this one was because Don Bluth, just like last week, announced a new animation company. Hmm. Which will um, never hire you because you just shat all over his yeah, work. Yeah, you're doomed. <laughs> you're not getting in there. That is true. If I go in for an interview, I'm going to have some splaining to do to this guy. <laughs> I, well, it's going to be embarrassing. Don't worry. When he runs that one into the ground as well, you can find him <laughs> to, uh, to his next production company after that. Um. Yeah, I Well. So. so... Wait, so has he had multiple things after the Don Bluth productions for this new one? Yeah, so, I mean, like, most famously, you know, like, he had the Don Bluth stuff, uh, Don Bluth, so the the production company that made this movie went out of business shortly after. Then they started another Don Bluth animation company. Okay. That's the ones that did, like, uh, American Tale, American Time, all those, All Dogs Go to Heaven. And then he did the, he teamed up with Fox in the 90s. So that's what he'll do. He did like, you know, his most successful film was Anastasia. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then right after that, he did Titan AE, which destroyed the company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why Fox animation isn't there anymore, which is another weird, speaking about my own little wiki hole, uh, I was reading about Titan AE last night and I got this feeling I had to look something up. But I thought this was pretty just a kind of a fun trivia thing about animation. But the fact that Titan AE, Final Fantasy, Spirits Within, and Treasure Planet all came out one year after another. And all high concept science fiction animated movies that left nothing but destruction in their wake. (laughs) It's such a weird thing that like Titan AE came out, completely destroyed Fox Animation. 
Spirits Within came out, completely destroyed Square. Square, uh, And then Treasure Planet Disney, that was basically the end of the Disney Renaissance. Right. and we, did, did we know that Treasure Planet was the movie that those guys pitched, though, for like over a decade? Like they wanted to do that movie so bad. And then they like had to make like, I don't even remember what it was. Like they had to make Lion King. Like no, they, they were they, like, they, oh, I guess they, we'll do Lion King. They're, <laughs> um, they're the directors who did, uh, I think, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and Hercules. Yeah. And then recently they did Moana. So they bounced back better than ever. <laughs> yeah, they did. Uh, but yeah, they... Their one big passion project just, you know, basically ended the Disney Renaissance, as it were. Uh, so, are we gonna? Is this gonna? Is this gonna happen again? Are we gonna have? Is like they're gonna be one movie that's just so shit that Pixar disappears? Dude, people have been talking about this idea of like various bubbles in entertainment bursting, uh, and I'm starting to get the feeling like maybe we're like in entertainment limbo now and we're just going to keep watching these Marvel movies and Disney remakes forever and it's never well, going to stop. I do think that like I personally feel that like the uh, the Pixar golden age is done. Uh, and it's not that they don't make that. good movies. I think like the the end of their outhouse trilogy, you know, the Ratatouille, Wally and Up was like mm-hmm. the, sort of the end of the first era of Pixar. Then you have, you know, like the Disney acquisition. And then the, so that's when you get like Brave and the Good Dinosaur, which is like one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen. Good Dinosaur um, is fascinatingly bad. Like it's yeah. so inexp. Do we watch that together? We might have. No, that movie- I watched it one night late and I had no idea why I did it. I, hate I it. Yeah, I had to go to, to a screening when I was writing uh, for the paper about it. And I was like, this is... It just doesn't make any sense. Like, how did any of this happen? Um, yeah, just a train wreck of a film production. Uh, that I've never heard of it, but I'm looking at images and yeah, I feel like visually that you've that's never what heard I of think. It. <laughs> this yeah, is what I think you would like, Alex. It's round and it has like neon colors. Yeah. Okay. 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 Hold on a second. Hold and on a second. All the animals are like. I just need to be clear. Okay, so I did like that about it, but I (laughs) fucking love dark kids movies, and uh, like, I mean, which dark kids movies do you like? Because they kind of all have problems. Like, they're not. There's one of my favorite. uh, I would say kids movies of all time is uh, Coraline, which is Uh, okay, hefty on the dark. Sure. And and I love stop motion. I just I just yeah. adore stop motion and and stop motion. Just like with this kind of labor intensive traditional animation, I will give some more leeway to like with like Leica uh, is just the most who made Coraline is like one of the most fascinating companies. It was a Portland company and I knew a bunch of people who worked on films there. So I like it's mm-hmm. got a piece of my heart anyway. But some of their movies have some real story problems to them. Mm-hmm. And like the most re- the Bigfoot one uh took a big dump all over my uh my my love for them um and i feel like they've earned one more bad one they've done enough good work if they do a second bad one as bad as that bigfoot one i'll be done but like i mean Coraline is incredible and so fucking dark and uh also paranormal well well, let's talk do you like any of the the dark kids movies from this era i guess what i'm kind of looking for yeah, 80s, um, even I mean, early 90s. Yeah. Um, can you give me more examples? Uh, no, uh, like, did you like The Dark Crystal? Do you like... Uh... I've never seen The Dark Crystal. I really want to. It's that's really on my not, short list. It's not very good. If you don't like... Yeah. It, oh, really? Not gonna, I, See, that's the thing. is They're all kind of flawed, and they yeah. kind of just get by on a lot of the aesthetic choices. But I love those choices. Like, it's hard for me to I, well, disconnect so I from think, that. 
it's from like what I've, like little bits I've seen of Dark Crystal. Uh, I feel like I would like those those aesthetic choices would delight me more than oh they used a different shadowing rotoscope system mm-hmm. and yeah, I can't I mean, tell. It is like uh, I think. Give me the, more. I no, I want to do more. What's more 80s dark like, kids movies? Labyrinth. Uh, yeah. Oh, I saw I saw Labyrinth for the first time a couple years ago, and I, I really liked it. I mean, stuff like All Dogs Go to Heaven, the other Don Blue Yeah, stuff. All, all the other Don Blue stuff, are they're at least depressing. You know what I mean? Like, Was the, Return totally. to Oz from the 80s? Yes. Oh, I don't think so. Is it? Oh, okay. Conflicting feelings? Oh, no. It's Yeah, it's 1985. Sorry. That movie I couldn't watch until this year because it was too scary for me. Like I've tried <laughs> so many times throughout my life and it's still so terrifying. It's just like, oh, yeah. fuck that. I'm out of here. I have never seen this. No, I don't know. I I mean, I liked Never Ending Story as a kid, but I've not seen it as an adult. Yeah, um, that's a, that's another great example of like dark, oddly dark 80s kids movies. I do. I mean, I like I other Bluth movies that I watched as a kid, I like enjoyed as a kid. And I like with All Dogs Go to Heaven, there I liked it more than this. It's definitely got more mm-hmm. uh to enjoy about it. Oh, I definitely wouldn't movie's... say this is my favorite Don Bluth. No, Although I think I'm if kind you were talking to, to three people it. who loved it, you would be honest and say it's not very good. But that's just a guess. Um my <laughs> I'll tell you, I, mean, I just want to say my favorite thing though about my favorite thing in the world is watching a dark kids uh movie and then hearing the kids be too scared by it. So um, there was in Paranorman when I saw that one. That first, did you guys see Paranorman? Yeah, I haven't seen it actually. Oh, you should! It's, it's, it's fucking incredible. Yeah. It's so good. It was the second uh, Leica movie, but mm-hmm. it uh, there's a moment where this really intense thing happens, and then there's like a white screen and like quiet for ten seconds, and a kid behind me just said, "I've had enough," and then got up. <laughs> like that's my favorite fucking thing. Yeah, that's, that's that's awesome. the movie I want to be in. And the same thing, a similar thing happened when we watched um, the. Uh, um uh broadway uh not oh fuck what was the god damn it she kids move stuff with her mind uh, matilda when we saw matilda on broadway it gets hella dark and which is a, that's a fucked up story um and there's a there's a there were really dark parts and the kids next to us were so scared and i liked that a lot i don't know i like that thing I, the, I think this is like visually dark not dark content the good, like, um, the really good Pixar movies, like something like, you know, the fact that Finding Nemo opens with an entire family being slaughtered, right? Like, yeah, right, right. Like, stuff like yeah. that, that I Up really... Like a five-minute miscarriage yeah. scene to open the I, movie. I do want to say, when going back to Pixar real fast, I I do think the, like, the golden age is over. I do think they're still making good movies. I do think that, like... Oh, yeah, because we just watched Onward, and that was really fun. Yeah, I mean, Onward, I really loved Inside Out. I think that's honestly one of the best movies. Inside Out is phenomenal, for sure. But I do think that, like, yeah, like, these things kind of go and The fact that, like, any movie studio or production company, the fact that you made, like, I don't know how many movies it is between, like, Toy Story and, uh, you know, 10, 12 movies or whatever. Mm -hmm. Any studio that makes that many good movies, that's a miracle on its own. It's not unbelievable. Not every make forever is going to be of that quality. It's just a numbers game. It's impossible. So, like, eventually, you know, these things have their ebbs and flows. And, like, you can definitely see, like, once Disney bought Pixar and, like, started demand more sequels. And what really happened was Disney bought Pixar 
and most of the really high Pixar talent went over the Disney Animation Studios. Right. And that's why Disney Animation Studios films have been really good for the past few years. Right. Oh, interesting. Because, yeah, that's kind of, I think that's the, yeah, a weird yeah. story we don't talk enough about, which is that they're, the recent Disney Animation Studios have been crazy good. Yeah. I mean, that's because, you know, Pixar, they bought Pixar to essentially pit a lot of those people in charge. Oh, yeah. I, I just I just want to add something though and just say that that what what I mean with the like whole bubble bursting thing is I feel like we talk about movies like we're in the middle of this era where these types of movies are really popular and that eventually, you know, like it used to be westerns were crazy popular and then they went away because people are like this isn't we're just done with this. Um but like you know, like if you talk about Pixar, like the highest grossing Pixar movie was Incredibles 2 and it came out in 2018. So like that's not that long ago. So it does me it doesn't actually sound like we're in in a monetary financial way out of Pixar's golden age or at least I don't think yeah. they would say that. They would point I mean, to the, their numbers and be a, like we're actually well, doing gross, quite well. Gross is such an interesting way to measure movies though because every sequel grosses so much more and then everyone oh, agrees it wasn't as good. That's like yeah. a, a classic fascinating thing where they're like like yeah, I mean Incredibles 2 uh, which I believe we would disagree generally about its overall quality. No I one would argue is better it, than Incredibles. I didn't like it. Anthony did. It's, it's um, okay. Yeah, I mm-hmm. like it. But, like, but no one would argue it's better than the original one. So no, the fact that it made twice as much money does not mean anything. It's like we hoped it would be the first one, and it's not. Well, it's did all- anybody see the sequel to The Secret of Nim? No. no. Uh, of course you did. Tell me about it. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I I don't think I'm going to. It looks. If bad. you wanted to, <laughs> man, if you wanted to find something from my youth that I loved that I'm sure does not hold up, it's the Disney straight to video sequels. Like I'm sure Return <laughs> of Jafar. I think it's, Jafar Luth. I think it's yeah. some other person. Well, I, I mean, loved Return of Jafar as a kid, and my guess is it did not hold up very. People well. say that's the best one, though. Of all, oh, those. is it really? So maybe it. Maybe it is fun. Okay. It could yeah. be fun. Uh, I. Uh, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but. I I am excited for the fact that we're getting the direct uh, DVD um, sequels to the live action ones now, but by like Oscar award winning directors. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that that Barry Jenkins yeah. is doing yeah. Lion King two. Like what? Finally, I, Lion King two, just what we all were looking for. I'm the director of Moonlight and if Beale Street could talk, Lion yeah. King two. Yeah. I, I have no idea what to expect from that. Okay, I don't want to be gotta, a hater, but I I totally I actually did get kind of bummed out when I read that though because I was just like, no, I want another Barry Jenkins movie. Like a like, yeah, I don't want to uh, wait that long for. A I proper appreciate film. you don't want to be a hater, but this is a reasonable take. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, I I feel the same way, except the the way I kind of justify it in my head is that like him doing the Lion King justifies like another five Barry Jenkins movies. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, going to get yeah. enough money to do these other stuff. Yeah. yeah totally. I mean, this, this is essentially, if it comes out and does like as well or even better than the first one, he he's essentially writing himself a blank check for the rest of his career. He will get to make, I mean, Moonlight already kind of gave him a blank. Yeah. He got best picture. But, so <laughs> yeah, but this will like, this will guarantee him, you know, being able to do whatever the fuck he wants. So, so we have to wrap up on this. I have two two more quick things I want to do before we get out of here. I'm going to try to make it quick because we're running out of actual time. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's then we're going to wrap up on Nim with that excellent note about the guy from Moonlight. And then we uh, <laughs> will be back with one more thing before we go. Okay, 
so uh, I just have a couple of quick emails. I actually had two things, and I'm going to have to postpone one again. Um, so I'll get to that next week because we don't have time. But um, two, I just want to take a quick jump into the mailbag. We got some uh, fun notes this week that I want to talk about. First of all, we got an email from Hannah who says, Hey, Alex, Hunt, Anthony, and Hunter, I just, just listening to your latest episode and had a book recommendation for you. Uh, um, this is when we were talking about Dog Day Afternoon last week, so which uh, Hannah has not seen, but thinks if you did like it, you'd really enjoy this book. Um, so Hannah is a librarian who works for Libby. If you like, uh, if you if you check if you like libraries and checking shit out for free, Libby uh, is the the really badass app for getting library books, and I like it a lot. Anyway, Hannah works for them and says so. I so I read a lot of new books and get some to some in advance of publication. A couple months ago, I read a book called Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. Uh, and it was the favorite book I've read this year so far out of 91 books, if you that oh, gives wow. you an idea Whoa. of scale. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Um, Anxious Slow People down. is about... <laughs> Save some books for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Anxious People is about a botched bank robbery that results in a locked door hostage situation where the robber vanishes into thin air. Uh, apart from the obvious similarities to the bank robbery uh, in Dog Day Afternoon... Um, none of the characters act or respond in any ways that I would expect, uh, and which I, I had mentioned I really liked about Dog Day Afternoon. It was originally written in Swedish and takes place in Sweden, but the translation is absolutely incredible. It's tense, intriguing, funny, and surprisingly emotionally oh, I like deep. Sweden. I'm a big Sweden. My stepdad is Is that Swedish. what sold you? None of the other stuff. You you weren't into a good locked room puzzle. You didn't like bank robberies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like, writing, you know, but you were like, I, wait, I like D.B. Cooper thing, people. but it's, oh, yeah. But when you said Sweden, I'm like, that carried me over the threshold. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, uh, to me, it sounds a lot like in uh, Spike Lee's Inside Man, which is also yeah. a bank heist in which the guy Inside vanishes. Man. I love, which I wa- I watched because I think it was like a This American Life where they talked to the author, the person who wrote the movie, the the writer, um, who basically said he had like come up with a perfect bank robbery and then instead of doing it, sold it as a movie. And people were like, that's a pretty good idea. We should make that yeah. movie. It's a good bank robbery. Um, and it does kind of feel like that way. Like the movie is not as good of a movie as it is a clever bank robbery. But man, Inside Man, so interesting. Yeah, uh, I'll get my butt in the seat. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but yeah, it sounds kind of like that, but like in a surprising, interesting way that develops. So I'm super excited about that. I'm actually going to read that at some point. So thank you. Yeah, I'll Hannah. I'm gonna. I, I'll I'll tell you this. I'm gonna push myself to read a book, and then if I yeah, can do that, then I set think your I will. On a book, I think I'm that's trying a great to idea. read. I'm trying to read a book. So I, I have some books in front of me. Maybe it'll be one of those. And then if I read a book, then I'll be like, now I can do suggested books. You know what I mean? I think it's a great, yeah. I'm not, you're not taking new efforts until you've proven it possible. I just, yeah, I just have to prove I could still do it to myself. And, yeah. uh, and I'm curious, you know? Um, I, I mean, Disco well, maybe, Elysium has a lot of words in it. It's basically like oh, reading a book. Right, you're right. You know what? Do I even need to read a book? There we go. Maybe I'm yeah, sort of reading books all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess this is a simpler suggestion than if you don't want to read a whole book. Uh, Alethea writes in uh to say this uh this, and you guys may remember althea who his name i'm still saying wrong probably but who wrote us a couple months back about how much uh the mood for love uh meant to them mm-hmm. um you guys remember this uh they grew up in hong kong anyway yes dear alex hunter and anthony just finished thelma and louise episode and was listening to the opening conversation about rebecca black's friday oh yeah and i thought you might be interested in this john ronson interview with the songwriter so you guys may remember okay just jog your memory um, once a year on a Friday, usually I think to myself, I hope 
the girl who wrote that song Friday is okay. And then I Google it and it's like, nope, she's a big YouTube celebrity. She's doing fine. Um, and then I feel guilty for having been part of the online bullying um, that destroyed part of her youth. So uh, anyway, that's what I was talking about. But what I think is fascinating is the songwriter who wrote that terrible song. And so anyway, this is, um, uh, you guys know John Ronson, the, the British writer, He's done a mm-hmm. bunch of amazing podcast things. He did a podcast about the porn industry that was super interesting. Um, most recently, I think, but anyway, so he did an interview for a YouTube show he was doing with the guy who wrote the song Friday. And that guy immediately meeting him is like, I got a song for you. And then like writes a song for him about what he thinks a, a, the perfect rap song for a middle, uh, middle aged English journalist. And it is, really hard to watch in parts but is also really funny and charming and the guy who wrote this the song is exactly who you think he is how you think he is like he is exactly what i thought the writer of uh, the guy a guy who would write thousand dollar vanity songs for rich kids in la like at one point he's recording this song with john ronson and john ronson is doing a real terrible job and he pops on in the little studio microphone and is like have you recorded before? You are a natural. And it's oh like, my God. it's like, that's the guy who gets paid to write these terrible vanity songs. And then they make a music video where he's like doing the same thing as in the Friday video where he's sitting in the front. seat, so he'd be like, I'm the rapper driving, switching lanes. And he does the thing from Friday where he rhymes the same word with itself over and over again. Um, anyway, it is, uh, it's incredible and weird. So I'll put that link in the show notes as well as a link to everything else we recommended today. Um, I, I recommend, uh, yes, that the end. Oh, and one more thing from, uh, Olivia. Um, I, when I mentioned having watched, uh, um, in the mood for love, uh, the, the food at the real Cal- real life California express, was it in the mood for love? Yes. Right. Hunter, uh, California, the, you're talking about that's chunking express, right? Chunking express. That's what I meant. Yeah. Sorry. Um, the food at the real life California express was not good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was overpriced. Would be good. Western junk food for drunk expats and local cops who, uh, and and local cops would never have eaten there. So just I appreciate someone coming to my defense with classic knowledge of uh, Hong Kong. Bam! Because I said the restaurant didn't seem good, and you guys gave me a lot oh, of shit for that. Did did we give you shit for that? I think yes. we probably just uh, like I I don't know. I think I just. I liked the space, so yeah. It's hard I haven't to... seen the movie, and I was just very hungry that recording. So <laughs> I was just like, "Alex, how can you talk about this food sounding gross? I'm so hungry. Just give it to me." So I that was that was on me. I'll give you. I that. I feel like both one one thing that's great about both of you guys is you do like being part of a pile, and it turns out I am easy to pile on, and so you're both always ready. That's you know um, that's yeah. not always true, Alex. And next time I'm on your side, I will remind you that it does yes, not always do. And, and you, it's not always true of you, and that's why you are some people's favorites. That's why you were uh, Stephen's wife's favorite, I think. Um, yeah, uh, from from the opening, you remember that part? Yes, I do remember that part. Uh, Good callback, um, Dahlia. Do you think you got the your money's worth for uh, this podcast about this movie you like that? <laughs> I kind of just want to like roast you more for liking round, colorful things. That's really. Um, <laughs> I mean, you very quickly figured out part, the game yeah. of the podcast. Yeah, you got you got you also like being part of a pile, apparently. <laughs> well, I, I was explaining Alex to, to someone recently, and I, I described him as the most uh, receptive to bullying person I have ever known. <laughs> like I. I've known Alex for a long time at Classic this point. Classic bully move to make it no, my fault that you no, bully me. Yeah, it's your fault, well, dude. You, well, you what, ask- I, 
what I mean by that is I genuinely, I genuinely believe this, Alice. I believe that you are a good person who's always striving to be better. But the only way anyone can convince you to be better is to relentlessly bully you. <laughs> you you are so responsive accurate. to bullying that you are like I have I know for a fact I have bullied you into better beliefs and I'm so proud of you. <laughs> We're just life coaching you, dude. That's it's really why coaching. I jumped on board with the bullying because yeah. I was yeah. like, you're not a good enough person. You can be better. <laughs> so yeah, I'm interested that. in making you. This better. is all. This is all like uh like the mean coaching that you see sometimes. It really helps an athlete excel, but like yeah, of a life coaching. Love. Yeah, tough love no, life yeah. coaching. No, you're the Michael Jordan. Like all you have to do is make it personal, and you're on fire. Right. You know, you have to. <laughs> you, <laughs> well, I do appreciate all three of you participating in my personal growth today. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Read. We will be back again next week. Next week, we're talking about the film Wild Nights with Emily, which is about Emily Dickinson's private life. We're gonna get a little bit. Uh, uh, lascivious we're gonna spy and see what her private life was like it's gonna be really fun um i'm looking forward to that i have not seen this movie i know very little about it i also don't know that much about emily dickinson so like yeah me neither the fact that she has wild nights you know that's that's all i need to know uh if you have any more feedback about the restaurants mentioned on this show or anything else you want to recommend or disrecommend uh please send us an email podcast at read-weep.com and we appreciate all of our meat buddies especially who join our patreon to help keep the show limping down the tracks and allow us to mostly pay our guests and um that's it that's mostly that's all the money that's pretty much it um and uh but i especially I, but it's very important to me that we do that because i have amazing people who hate me in just the right ways um so thank you for for participating in that anthony it's always great to be bullied by you <laughs> i love you buddy you know likewise and uh also hunter everyone's favorite hey i love, love you too, man and talia thank you so much you can check out i like um, you i appreciate it. that's probably fair um uh check out interruption show wednesday nights and saturday afternoons uh at on twitch uh and you can see hunter sometimes you can see me sometimes but you can see dahlia all the time and watch great comics get i mean a little bit bullied so it's kind of nice it's actually kind of fits in here so uh, that's the gonna, interruption um, show I'm gonna. It's gonna turn around, and I'm gonna be the one who gets piled on on Halloween. So I'm getting oh. all co-hosts to interrupt my material for an hour or whatever. Oh, that's, that's gonna be great. carnage. It's gonna be terrible. <laughs> great idea. Yeah, because uh, it turns out uh, what that really ends up being is just a bunch of hosts talking to each other, and you don't get to participate. I hope so, because then you won't hear like what <laughs> yeah, I've been trying nice. to work on during quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, such all, all of that to look forward to. Interruption show on Twitch. Thank you so much for joining us, Dahlia. Thank you for having me. And at Dahlia on Twitter as well. We will talk to everybody next week. All right, bye. 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 bye.